All right. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can podcast. Today, we are very lucky to be joined by Brandon Voss. Brandon is the president of the Black Swan Group. Uh, you guys might know his dad, Chris Voss. He wrote the book, uh, Never Split the Difference, a must read for everybody. Black Swan Group teaches negotiation tactics for companies, individuals. And we're going to today learn how to apply these principles as parents because brandon you are also a dad how's it going today brandon it's going fantastic rob i'm happy to be on with you and, and yeah I, I am technically a dad i'm still a new dad my uh, my wife and i's little girl just turned one actually earlier this week so i'm, I'm just getting into mix congrats i think one is when dad really like gets to be in play now you know the first six months they're just kind of like a little baby but at one when they start to really uh do some things. I think that's when dad hits his stride. Yeah, actually, I, I, I call him like that first like three months, four months, right? I just refer to him as like meat blobs, right? At that point. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, she's much more aware of everything around her and dad's included in that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we're, I, I am going to, I'm curious to hear what it's like growing up with a hostage negotiator as a dad. We'll talk about that too. But I kind of want to jump right into it, get to some examples, some things that the audience I'm sure is dying to know. And one thing I think of a lot, and your daughter's not talking yet, but uh, what is a kid's favorite word? Toddlers, everybody, is the word no. And that is one of my favorite things that I've learned from you guys. Uh, tell us a little bit about the power of the word no, uh, why we should maybe be avoiding the word yes, and and then we'll talk about how we can apply that with uh, peers, companies, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> you know, it really comes down to the natural, innate human need to be autonomous and to protect your own autonomy. And no equals freedom. Like that, simply put, that's what it is. When you can say no to something, you're, you're in control, you're autonomous, and you have freedom from whatever it is you're looking at and no allows you to do that. And I think we, we start to feel that at a very young age, which is why toddlers are, get so used to saying it early, right? And, and how that translates, I think, is as, as we grow, as we become, you know, more experienced professionals and in, in, in our personal lives, you know, being affirmed gets us attached to this idea of yes. And, and really, when you start to break it down, what we want, what we're looking for is yes and. We want explanation, right? That's really where it comes from. We may be going for a yes question, which is a no-no, right? In the tactical empathy, black swan, uh, Voss method. But what we're looking for is yes and. And what's great about triggering no is because it allows so much freedom mentally, the and or the explanation rolls off the tongue so much easier and so much more seamless when people feel like they can control their freedom. Mm -hmm. So what's an example of, I'm using them every day, but an example of question maybe where people are making a mistake and they could easily flip that question into a no. So it could be somebody calling you and saying, hey, do you have a few minutes to talk? And instantly that feeling is like, uh-oh, what am I getting myself into? But it's incredible how you can take almost any question that you have, flip it and probably increase your, what you're looking for by like 30% at least. Yeah, yeah, we actually got some rough data early on that, you know, there was, a, there was an instant 23% uptick in regards to use the use of, of no-oriented questions, right, as we mm -hmm. call them. So, yeah, to, to run with that example, when you call somebody on the phone, um, right, where do you have a few minutes, the classic one, 
And it, we, we, we're looking for yes and, because we want the yes and there's more to come with that. We're looking for more information from that, right? That's what it really boils down to. And the other part of that is I think genuinely when most people do that, if the person they're talking to does have a problem, they would like to be told no, right? And have somebody stand up and say, but schedule with my assistant to talk at two o'clock tomorrow. That's what people are really looking for. And when you go into the same environment and you start with, did I catch you at a bad time? Did I catch you in the middle of something, right? Am I, am I totally screwing up your day right now by calling? You know, when you, when you come at it from that angle, it allows them to say like, no, right? And, and that no is very positive because it's agreement and affirmation for us. And if there is more to the, to the effect of now is in fact a bad time, that person feels the freedom to share that information with us seamlessly without feeling bad because they didn't, they don't feel like they turned us down. Right. Which is really interesting about that dynamic creation in the moment. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting how, and how about for you, you know, when people do this to you, do you feel like, do you notice it? And do you think, uh, Oh, they're trying to get me or do you still, I mean, I find even when people do it to me that I kind of appreciate it because I do feel that, autonomy that you talked about it's funny you say that um i i feel the a very similar way because the skills are designed to create collaboration they're designed to open up the mind and and uh, potentially explore new avenues of possibility and so when someone's using it and you can you can feel that you can start to feel that that's the, the place that they're coming from and it makes it much easier to respond as far as noticing it i think I probably notice it more when someone's tone is off, mm. you know, when they're, they're probably clearly maybe they're a little nervous about using this skill with me, or maybe they're just getting their initial reps in and they happen to be on the phone with me for whatever reason. That's probably when I notice it. But when the tone is, is in, is good, which takes practice, it feels much more genuine. It feels much natural. And it's, you know, it's, it, it will admit it slips by me even sometimes, right? What is the tone that you guys are looking for that you're trying to uh, convey with whether you're talking to somebody at work or look, we can apply this probably to our kids as well. Yeah, well, to your point, it depends, right? Whether you're at work or you're talking to the kids and you know what, what the situation is in reference to, all of that plays into the tone. But Simply put, right, the easiest place to focus, right, with all this different tone and circumstance, just to boil it down, if we look at it as inflection and simply upward inflection, downward inflection, upward inflection is always going to indicate, I'd love to hear more about what you're saying, right? It, it, it sounds, like a, sounds like a question, right, when you upward inflect naturally. And then when you downward inflect, it sounds very much like I'm with you. Everything that you said, I'm in line with as far as fully understanding what you see. What you see versus what you see, right? And, and it's just upward and downward. And that's a great place to start, right? You're gonna, you're gonna continue to adapt and, 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 and expand as you experiment in more environments, but that's, that's really the best place to begin. Yeah, and I like what you said before about low stakes practice. And that's something I was telling you before our call, I'm doing with my friends over text, we're saying, yeah, would you be against uh, coming over later today? And they're like, no, of course not. And it's just great practice. So I advise everybody to, you know, get these reps in, talk to the bank teller, talk to your kids, talk to your spouse. Um, it's one thing actually 
I enjoy it so much. I mean, Chris's book and, and your guys content, which everybody can find on YouTube, the clips are incredible. I'll devour like three of those a day just to sharpen the sharpen the saw. But I'm trying to teach my kid about it a little. He's nine. And um, we it was funny. I'll give you a little story example of when we got to try it because we were at the pizza place and at the pizza place, they give you a one ice cream scoop after you eat. And he scarfed it down and he wanted another. And I said, well, you can go up there and ask him yourself. I'm always trying to get them to, you know, go talk to the person at McDonald's or where you want something you go ask. But I said, you know, that thing we've been talking about where you go for the no, maybe this is a good time to try it on. So how could we ask, uh, him, can I have more ice cream is probably, that would be a yes question, right? Like that's not going to probably fly, but what we had him do and it was, would it be a problem if I had an extra scoop of ice cream and I watched him go up and ask, and he was kind of shy. It was the first time he really did it, but he actually got turned down. I think that it was like a teenager and he didn't really fully understand. So he kind of walk of shame back to the table. And I was a little <laughs> disappointed. I said, I hope I didn't ruin this for him, but like he tried it. I hope he thinks it works, but I think these kind of examples of would it be a problem? Are you against giving me an extra scoop of ice cream? These kind of things are, are great lessons we can teach our kids. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. I love that you're already uh, making them step out of their comfort zone a little bit and try something new. But to the point you made earlier and, and joking around with, with friends and family through text and various things, that's actually the best way to practice. Treat the world communication that you have in the world. Treat it like a game where you're scoring points for identifying something crazy that someone told you, or you're scoring points every time you get a that's right, or every time you get a no, right? That, that's a point for you. And if you gamify it like that, it makes it much easier to experiment with. And so, um, you know, I always, I always personally like adding in elements of humor. And, and so going like at the, at the McDonald's thing, right? Like would, would your manager chop your head off if I asked you for another ice cream, right? Because like, what are they, what are they fearful of? Probably fearful of getting in trouble by their boss, right? And if you can, if you can work in the fear or whatever negative emotion might come with your ask into the question itself, it makes it hit on a different level. And so, you know, I like to do things like that, or, or, or one of my favorites, depending on the circumstance, of course, is, you know, if uh, uh, would would you would you kick me in the groin if I dropped a bomb on you right now? Right. And, and that always, right. It breaks the ice. It's almost a way to kind of throw in like a dad joke <laughs> with, with, and still stay on topic at the same time. Mm -hmm. Those are so good. I'm definitely using that. Would your manager chop your head off? I love that because yeah, it disarms them. It, you know, it's like a pattern interrupt. And I think that's something you guys are always trying to teach too, is to not let them just routinely say what they're going to say, especially if it is a no, because our instincts are wired to say no. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to make them stop and think, right? That's, and that's all incorporated into this thought pattern interrupt that you just mentioned. Yeah. Thought pattern interrupt. So that brings us to another tool we can use, which is mirrors. Tell us a little bit about mirrors and how they work and why they work. Yeah. Mirrors, mirrors is a great tool. So simply defined it's repeating and usually we focus on the last one to three words, but the reality is it's not restricted to the last one to three words that the person says. 
And so it's, it's very much a verbal action, right? Anything we talk about with the Black Swan Method or tactical empathy is always verbalization. It's always actionable. So not, not to be confused with the mirroring the body language, right? Very different concept, uh, very different uh, approach to the process in a lot of ways. And so one of the things that it does, again, upward and downward inflection, playing with that when you mirror is always a good thing. But it's also, a, a, we actually refer to them as, as connectors because they help people connect thoughts together. And, and if you're familiar with the three types, and, and Rob, I know you are, all the listeners might not be, we have assertives, analysts, accommodators. Assertives are the direct, you know, blunt force trauma type of negotiators that we are all familiar with facing. Mirrors are actually the best tool when you're faced with that type of negotiator because you can help them connect their stream of consciousness together by mirroring certain aspects of what they say. And then as a negotiator, by picking and choosing what you mirror, it allows you to direct the conversation. And so you very much become the conductor and the, the assertive that you're dealing with is, is a guy in your band playing a violin. You're just telling him what notes to hit. What notes to hit? <laughs> That's exactly right. See, that's what I'm talking about, Rob. Rob uh, is on, right? Gamify the world, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great. And I think about it again, bringing it back to kids, it gets them talking and expanding. So if they say what notes to hit, um, they, I might say what notes to hit and they might say, yeah, you know, like when you do this and then you play the game and then you do that. And it's just like, gets them clarifying. And I guess you get more information. It seems like that is what you're after is more information from the other party. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big part of it, right? Any, anytime we engage in negotiation, we always look at it as guided discovery, right? Don't, don't mistake negotiation for a deal-making process. That's ultimately the culmination of the game or, or, or the process, right? You'd love it to be deal-making, but not every deal is worth making, number one. And we can get ourselves in trouble if we make a bad deal, so we want to avoid those. So the guided discovery process that even leads us to whether or not we want to do business with them is, is a big thing. And same thing with, with, with dealing with a child. Hearing them out is good, but chances are you're probably not going to want to agree to their terms, right? But hearing them out <laughs> and, and making them feel like they're understood is a great aspect of any relationship development, right? Especially with your kids. And to your point, I think kids are so used to authoritarian adults. Do this because I'm your, I'm your teacher, right? Sit in your chair and do the math. And kids get so used to being dealt with in that way even for them, it's a breath of fresh air when especially a parent or a guardian is talking with them in a way like, I would like you to continue what you're saying, right? There's more to your thought process. Please go deeper. And kids can feel that too. And it's just, right, it's a, it's a respect level, it's a relationship level. And uh, uh, it's, it's much better than dealing with an adult that's smacking you around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. What I, what I love about the mirror too is it's like such a great tool to have in your back pocket because if you're not on your A game, you can always just like kind of pay attention, just lob that back to hit the ball back and they're going to expand as you gather your thoughts. So it's a great tool to use because again, people like to hear themselves talk and we're kind of allowing that. So there's, there's so many benefits to these things. Um, another tool I want to talk about that I love that I think is really important. And, and before, before you go in, I know I'm interrupted. I apologize because you brought up a great point about mirrors to your point, right? About picking some out the air and buying time. 
we also refer to this as the cocktail party trick, right? So if you're at a networking event, cocktail party, don't really want to speak to anybody, but it's customary. It's a great time to practice some mirrors, right? Get involved with somebody, love talking about themselves and just mirror them. Be shocked how far you get with them, right? So I had to throw that in because you made yeah. me think of it. I love that. When I'm having a conversation, I don't want to you just throw a kind of interested uh, basketball game and then they'll go on. And exactly. On. Yeah. Um, another thing I use a lot, very important in Black Swan Method is labels. And tell us a little bit. Of, I think labels and you're going to explain it to everybody now, but they're very important, I think, for the way a parent talks to a kid, especially when kids are tantruming. And, you know, adults tantrum too. So talk to us about labels and why they are so effective. Yeah. So um, labels are a verbal observation that's in the form of a statement that starts with the words. It seems like it sounds like or it looks like. So that's, that's kind of the definition. Now, as far as the usage goes, best way to practice them is to go right from the foundational nature of it, especially if you're using it on your kids which from the hostage negotiation world, they were called emotion labels. So you use a label to hit on an emotion. Seems like you're angry, seems like you're frustrated, looks like you're upset. That's a great way to start practicing with your kids, right? Because they exhibit all types of emotions, especially you have a little girl like I do. And I know your youngest is a little girl too, right? Emotions yeah. are, are oozing out of them. <laughs> so you can use that to identify, it seems like you're, you're really upset. Well, yeah, I am. Or it seems like, you feel like this is unfair, right? Whatever it is, you can use that to identify. Now, from a negotiation standpoint, we use it to take the conversation to a deeper level. You know, uh, simply put, we want to identify latent dynamics and underlying motivations. And so if someone says, I can't pay that price, there's a motivation or a latent dynamic that is actually behind that statement. Generally, with large organizations, it has to do with pressure someone that they have to answer to or a team as a result. And so they say they can't pay that price because they're fearful of the pressure that they're getting internally. And so the label then becomes, seems like you're under a lot of pressure. Seems, excuse me, I kind of muttered through that, but simply it seems like you're under a lot of pressure. And again, downward inflection, identification, I'm with you, I can see it. And now they have the ability to open up. Yeah, right, Tom, and this and that. And now all of a sudden, there, there's more information oozing out of them as a result. Another point to that, and I practice this, and I'm not great at it, so it's good practice, is the downward inflection. It seems like you're under a lot of pressure. And then pause, shut up, stop talking. Is that something that, that's something I'll start, you know, tying myself into knots, but just seems like you're under a lot of pressure. Exactly. That, that's exactly how you execute it. That's what we call dynamic silence. In the book, we actually stated it as effective pause. We've, we've advanced the skill and, and renamed it and retooled it a little bit because the other aspect of it is you're creating an intentional void in the conversation that the counterpart is required to fill. And your instinct might be, it seems like you're under a lot of pressure because you're in a big organization and you got a lot of people to answer to and there's a whole team of people behind you. You want to say that you need to actually leave all that out and just stick with the identification and trick for myself because I'm, I'm naturally assertive, right? I'm, I'm Brandon. I'm a recovering assertive, right? That's, that's who I naturally am. And so I actually count Mississippis in my head because I like to do talking. I like to explain. And so I count one 1,000, 
to 1000, right? Or, or however it is just to stay in my chair. And I'll say the average is about three or four, no matter what it is at three or four Mississippis or 1000s, they break the silence. And I've actually never counted past eight. And so it's, it's uh, yeah, dynamic silence is a key piece to uh, high execution with some of these things. And it goes against our instincts. I don't know if it's anxiety or what, but we always want to jump in and kind of like, yeah, but you know, if you don't want to, but that kind of diffuses the whole perp, the, the whole technique that you're doing. Exactly. Right. You, Cause now you've interrupted this void, you know, along with this void is this pressure to respond. And we actually alleviate that for them when we continue on. So yeah, that, that's exactly a, a great point about it. And so, yeah, stick with it. It's supposed to feel awkward. You know, that's the other thing when you accept, especially the first few times you do it, this is going to feel weird and unnatural. You know that going in, it makes it much easier in the moment. That's a great idea because I think too, and goes back to the low stakes practice and with the kids, kids are having meltdowns every day. I'm sure yours, <laughs> she can't talk yet, but she's got, um, you know, just so much energy and anger and all these feelings and, our instinct as a parent, because a lot of times we're just fried or burnt out is what are you upset about? This is like a, the cookie was broken. It's not a big deal. And I think like trying to gamify it a little and get that practice as seems like you're really upset that that cookie was broken. Even if, I mean, it's going to be funny, but it's good practice. And I think uh, sometimes I do, I have to say though, once they agree to it and you know, I, I'm like, Oh, that worked. I don't always know the next step. So I'm trying to figure out how to tie some of these together. What, what are like next steps after a label like that? Yeah, no, that's great. So <clears throat> classic negotiation sense, we use the labels and mirrors to incite a bunch of information from the other side. Now, once we've exhausted that, right, we, we've turned the spigot on and now there's no more water coming out. We take that big bucket of water, a big bucket of information, and we summarize and the purpose of a summary is to actually trigger the words, that's right, or an equivalent to that's right. That's it exactly. Or, or you hit it on the head, right? That, so that's, that's what we're going for in a classic sense. And when you get there, then laying out data and explanation or objectives of your own is a great next step. Now, if you, if you, if you want to go even higher than that, when you can put your explanation in the form of a question, that's when you really start to change the game, especially after you've crossed the that's right moment. So that's it in the classic sense. Dealing with kids, then the follow-up would be what we like to call a thought-shaping question, which is a nuance of calibrated questions from the book. And so it seems like you're really upset that the cookie was broken. And yeah, it was crazy. And I just really wanted a cookie. And it's all I could think about all day. Think about all day. Yeah, exactly. I just, I, it's, it's crazy, right? I just, I couldn't get it out of my mind, right? And so you've gotten that far. And then maybe the ask is um, that you want them to eat their broccoli or you want to give them an alternative snack, like a, like a bowl of cereal or something like that. And so, you know, would, would your day still be completely destroyed would you still be so upset if you had a bowl of cereal instead right or how bad would it be how much worse off would you be uh if if you had a bowl of cereal right with some milk and so that's a way to start to inject your own uh, agenda without actually having to explain like well you should just have cereal because that's what's in the fridge now right or that that's what we have in the cabinet so you should just eat that 
actually turn it into a question. And a no question at that. Would your day no be ruined? That's, it really is because you're giving them autonomy, which is really what kids, what we all want. So I think it's so smart how like interrelated all these tools are. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving them. I got another one for you. Another one of my favorites that I've been using a ton lately. The accusation audit. Uh, tell us what the accusation audit is, and then we'll talk about examples where we can use it. Yeah, so I'll actually start out by saying the best way to make an ask is to start or use an accusations audit as a prerequisite to it. So simply put, an accusations audit is uh, a summation or write another verbalization, and this would be a little bit more extended, where you're addressing all the negative emotions that they're already harboring or what even they might harbor as a result of the ask that you have. And so you are, you are stating all those ahead of time. Now, the mistake most people make is we actually deny negatives when we say things like, I don't want you to think this is disrespectful or I, I, you know, I, I, I don't want you to feel a certain way about this, right? Or don't, don't take this the wrong way. That's actually a denial of the negative. And so the accusations audit is a 180 degree turn where you're going right at that stuff and saying, you are going to feel a certain way about this. You are probably gonna think that I'm being disrespectful. I would imagine there's no way that you can't take this improperly, right? You're going, you're going all the way at the negative. A lot of people like to also refer to it as identifying the elephant in the room. And so I'd say actively identifying it. And so, right, same conversation with the kid, broken cookie, and the ask is cereal or broccoli, right, or, you know, whatever it is. And so, like, I know that you've had a tough day. You probably feel like the world is ending because you didn't get the cookie that you've been waiting all day for, and you'll probably never get over it, right? And then you go, silence again, allow them to respond, and so would it be, would it be terrible? Would you, would you not be able to get any sleep at night if you had a bowl of cereal instead? And, and actually the, the, the accusations audit in a lot of ways softens the blow of the ask itself, especially when you can identify all the, the negatives or diffuse them before they even get a chance to feel them. And what about the worry that we all have that we're going to say something that, oh, they weren't even thinking that they didn't think uh, you're probably going to think I'm a bad guy. You're probably going to think I'm a total jerk for this. Yep. How do you address that? Like, I don't want to say that if they're going to start thinking it. Yeah, that's that's the biggest fear. I'm so glad that you brought that up. Right. The biggest fear is, well, what if I throw out a negative and, and now they, they weren't thinking it, but I said it and now they are thinking it. That is always where the thinking starts. What's really interesting about that is we can't plant thoughts in other people's heads, which is one of the reasons that we even have a company, <laughs> right? If you could plant a thought in somebody's head, we wouldn't need guys like us. <laughs> so that's kind of the first thing to always remember. That's how people work. But even what's, what's, what's more counterintuitive and much harder to see until you experience it for yourself if you in fact identify a negative or verbalize a negative that doesn't exist, they'll jump in and correct you and say, no, no, Rob, I don't think you're a bad guy. You're, you're being too hard on yourself. That's actually how people respond to it because number one, you're verbalizing understanding or at least you're verbalizing an attempt to understand. 
which is so easy to respect and build rapport towards, that if we misstep, the human nature reaction to it is, no, actually, that's not it at all. And so it, there's a bit of a safety net there by trying to verbalize and understand, right? The Stephen, great Stephen Covey said, seek first to understand before being understood, right? Taking that approach and how it can actually save you if you, in fact, you know, fall off the wagon a little bit. Yeah, and it's so interesting how... I know you guys talk so much about this instinct to correct, how it's just like this human name. Oh, no, no, no. It was actually this. It's like so <laughs> satisfying to somebody to do it that it sounds like sometimes you'll almost say something that you almost know is incorrect just to give somebody the opportunity to have that autonomy to correct you, to clarify, to give more info. Yeah, this, this actually. So we have a list of what we call laws of negotiation gravity. And that is on the list, right? It, the desire to correct is irresistible. People love to not only talk about themselves, people love to showcase how smart they are or how, how clairvoyant they are in regards to a situation or an environment. And if we open the door to allow them to do that, they're happy to step on in, right? You can lead the horse to water and it's gonna drink a lot if you take that angle with it. And then a great secondary benefit of triggering correction is correction is always honest. We all worry about being lied to at the negotiation table. One way to make sure you're not being lied to is when they're actually correct. People just don't lie when they correct. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting way to approach a conversation It's hard. It's hard to wrap your mind around, like, I want to trigger them actually correcting me, right? It almost feels like defamation of character for some people. And that's just us getting in our own way, mm -hmm. right? If, you, if you're going to trigger correction and it's going to make you $100 million as a result, it might be worth giving it a shot. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Oh, and it's your ego, too. We don't, we don't want to look wrong, but it's really, at the end of the day, it's what's more effective. And, yeah, I can imagine... I'm just now while you're talking, thinking of ways I can do this with my kids because kids like to, they love to be right. They think they know everything. So mm -hmm. I'm going to throw out some, some misstep, have them correct me and be like, Oh, that's right. Tell us real quick. Why is that's right? The word, the phrase they are looking for instead of, Oh, you're right, Brandon. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And so there's a real clear distinction between that's right. And you're right. I'll kind of start there. That's right. Is a confirmation that someone does, in fact, they feel the understanding from you. And, and a great example of that, right, when I highly charged political time. And so I don't care if you're right, left, you know, whatever it is, doesn't matter to me. But when we see a politician talk about issues that we agree with or that we're on board with, right, you want to stand up and shout like, that's right. Like, I'm with you, Biden. I'm with you, Trump. I'm with you, Harris. Whatever it is. But like, that's right. I'm supporting them because they get me. They represent me. And that's why we look for the that's right. Now, your right is very much dismissive, right? You say you're right to a spouse when you're tired of arguing mm -hmm. or when an employee walks in your office and you're like, all right, you're right, or, or to your boss, right? It's probably a better way to put it. You're right, boss. You're right. You don't get yelled at anymore. And so there isn't an affirmation of understanding with your right. There's very much comes when, when people say that's right. And the, and the goal is slightly deeper than that. That's right are probably the best words we could use to uh, really pinpoint the emotion that's actually created in the moment. 
And that's what we're looking for. And so we've, we've, we've actually started calling it the oxytocin moment. Oxytocin is the naturally occurring chemical in the body that actually creates bonding, right? When a mammal has a baby and the mother looks in the baby's eyes, there's oxytocin happening and there's a lifelong bond that's being created. And that's actually what we're looking for. Uh, we want them to exhibit this bonding. And I now feel bonded because you understand, just like you're bonded to your politician because they get it, right? And they're going to support me and they understand me. Mm -hmm. You can create that same uh, environment or culture during communication at any given moment. Yeah, it's just so amazing. I think everything that you guys teach kind of has this empathy is kind of the foundation for everything. And that you, even if you don't agree with somebody, whether you're faking it or what, but the most effective way to do it is to really understand where they're coming from and verbalize it. And it's just something that just goes against our instincts for some reason, but maybe that's why it makes it so effective. Yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. So a couple of things, right? Daniel Goldman, who in a lot of ways is, is considered like the father of empathy. He's got what he calls cognitive empathy. And that's probably the closest uh, definition to tactical empathy that there is other than what we talk about. And, and in addition to that, um, it's actionable. Right. Empathy is, is much more about action. And, and I actually don't like the comparison of putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Right? I'm sure you hear that a lot. I've heard it a bunch. The problem with that metaphor is it stops with sight. Right. Putting in yourself in their shoes and being able to see what they see and look at the world as they see it. To actually make someone feel understood, you have to express a comprehension. And you can only do that if you verbalize it well. And that's where the actionable item comes in. Cause I got to verbalize what you see me saying that I see it too, is not going to be enough for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I see what's going on in, you know, in, uh, you know, in Dallas during, during uh, all this snow and, and this infrastructure going down, right. That happened several months ago, as opposed to you people are having trouble, having to figure out, figuring out how to survive. What you're going through right now is unacceptable. And at the very least, you weren't prepared based on the region you live in. That's stating the position that the, that the people find themselves in versus I see that it's tough on you guys. Mm -hmm. Right. I like that. I have a quick question from a listener, another huge Voss fan. Will you take a listener question, Brandon? Sure. Yeah, please. Hold on. Of course. I said that the wrong way. Brandon, <laughs> would it be a ridiculous idea for me to throw out one question from a listener? You know, not, not at all, Rob, not at all. I'd be happy to. <laughs> all right. So our, our listener, Brad said, we all know listening is so important, but we get wrapped up in conversations. We interrupt and we forget what the other side even said. Do you have any tips for how we can listen better? Yeah. A uh, couple of things. It's, it's, it's very much a habit. And I don't know how it gets started, but we all, we all suffer from this to a certain degree. It's very much a habit to listen for rebuttals or listen for objections or listen long enough till there's something that we can relate to ourselves that then we can express like, oh yeah, I got a dog too, right? And then my dog's three years old and you're not, now they're not even, they're not talking about them anymore, right? It's all about you. And so it's natural for us to go there because we wanna have common ground right? There's, there's some underlying issues, right? The affirmation of we're, we're like each other because I've experienced that also. That actually gets in the way of us listening better. And what we really need to listen for is 
how what they're saying ties to a life narrative, how what they're saying ties to core values that they live by every day, whether on a conscious or subconscious level. And when we can start tying what they say back to that, now we're going much deeper. And at the same time, we've forgotten about ourselves. We're not focused on, hold on, let me listen long enough until I align with what they said. Let me listen and find out how this ties back to the first time they were in business or the first time they lost their business or you know, what it was like when they had their first kid. How does what they're saying now tie back to that? And when, then we can, when we can express that verbally, if we think we've identified something, that's where we're having a much more uh, in-depth conversation. So fight that instinct to interrupt, even if it's to affirm, oh yeah, Brandon, I totally agree. Like you're going to have that instinct, but just try and shut up. If you need to maybe throw a mirror in there, that's another tool, I guess, that kind of facilitates that listening because you're getting them talking again. That's, that's actually, I think that's great advice for listeners, Rob. I mean, because it's hard to drop a habit completely. It's much easier to replace a habit with another habit. And so to your point, right, you get triggered. We want to go, uh-huh, yeah, I have that too. And you just do a mirror every time you have that feeling. That's great advice, Rob. That's great advice. Thanks. Um, if you need a, a, a dad, uh, dad in the black swan group. I think this is a whole world we're going to uncover how we can apply these things to relationships because it's not just business. It's every relationship, your wife, your partner, your kids. It's like every exchange that you have is a negotiation. It is. It is. Anytime that the words I want or I need or in your mind or the mind of the person you're talking to, whether it be a kid or a boss or an employee, you are in fact having a negotiation. I like that. So Brandon, on the Dad the Best I Can podcast, we always like to do a dad tip. You are a dad to a one-year-old girl. Do you have a tip for other parents out there? Yeah, you know, it's, there's so many, right? And, and, and I think the one that stood out to me the most is, is patience. It's probably because it's, it's a virtue I do not naturally have, right? It's something that I got to get my reps and my cycles in on. But really, and even more specifically, patience in the moment, right? When, you, when, you, when I've told my daughter, don't throw your milk on the floor while she's eating, and she looks me dead in my face and picks her milk up and drops it on the floor anyway, right? Like in that, like having patience in that moment. And that's, that's a, I think that's a skill in itself. And that's where it starts. And uh, it keeps us level-headed, right? When we don't allow ourselves to succumb to the instant reaction of, of anger or frustration or sadness, we're actually much more cognitively flexible. And that applies with our kids. It applies when we're, you know, talking about a million-dollar deal, right? It, it, it all, it all uh, works itself into the equation. And it's more examples of low-stake practice. If you can handle a little one-year-old throwing a fit, I'm sure walking into that boardroom might even seem like a piece of cake with who you're dealing with there. And you know, to your point, and if you can't, what does that mean, right? If you can't handle the one-year-old fit or your two-year-old stomping their feet or, you know, getting mad and spilling something, right? If you can't handle that, what's going to happen when you're in the boardroom? So yeah, it's a great point. Man. Yeah. Well, what I find too is, and you learn this through parenting, is just so many things you're trying and they're natural to feel this way, but they just don't work. They're just ineffective. So yelling at my kid while I get why I should do it, I'm not getting the result I want. So just as a pragmatic person, it's like, 
how can I get the result that I want? And I'm going to have to clearly do something different because yelling at them for spilling their milk isn't, isn't getting it. So that's why I think it's really cool to have these kind of tools that we need. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, that's, that's a really good one. And it starts with, cause what's, what's interesting is I think we don't give our counterparts enough credit sometimes. And we feel like we have to explain, especially with our kids, we got to explain to them what we want. We, I want you to clean your room. I want you to act better in school. I want you to not throw your milk when you're eating dinner. Chances are they probably know that to a certain degree, right? As a parent, you've instilled values in them. You're dealing with someone in a corporate world. They know that you want a better deal or you want to extend the contract. They got a sense of that. Now, the real key is how do you make them feel like doing it, right? And anybody can do anything for you if they feel like it, including your kids. And it actually starts with this understanding piece because understanding leads to trust, which leads to rapport, which then leads to influence. And influence is actually what we're trying to achieve. So you grew up with your dad, Chris Voss, hostage negotiator. Uh, did you grow up learning this stuff? Was it a certain point or are you, are you just like any teenager in high school that's going to resist his parents? Like how do these <laughs> things, uh, what's it like growing up with uh, Chris Voss, a hostage negotiator as a kid? Well, yeah, well, I'll start with number one. I was, I was definitely a knucklehead, right? And definitely, you know, resisted authority and pushed against my parents, right? Classic dopey uh, teenager growing up. But uh, Chris was, was definitely, when I was younger, definitely the most popular student on, on career day, right? He was always a big hit when, <laughs> when he got a chance to do that. But the reality is, you know, having someone like that to model after, there, there's no replacement for that, right? That's just, that's kind of luck of the draw, right? I got, I got dealt a good hand and that being able to watch somebody like that operate. And so there was never really a moment when, like, he sat down and, and, and passed me the stone tablets, right? Like, that, that moment never took place, but I got to see him interact enough that, you know, he'd get people to agree to stuff that just seemed odd or, or didn't seem like it was necessarily in their best interest, but they're happy to give it to him. And it's like, that, you know, there's got to be something to this, right? Maybe I'll try that phrase that I heard that one time. And then it just kind of developed from there. And, and because of that experience, we first started the business being integrally involved in the, the uh, development of the content and what we've done with, you know, the, some of the techniques we talked about today, that, that really is what started it, being able to watch him and see some of the cool things he did. Yeah. I like what you said there about modeling, because that's really what it comes down to. You're not really listening to what your parents say so much of the time, but how they act, what they do. Would you say that, uh, that there, is there one thing that you learned from your dad that you really want to apply as a debt now that you're a dad? Oh yeah, from a father perspective, yeah, he did it. He did a really good job instilling some solid baseline values in regards to hard work, respecting others, you know, using manners, and you know that's that's where I'm going to start with my little girl, right? When we really get on that path of of respecting, you know, looking people in the face, op opening the door for the elderly, elderly, right? Simple things like that, respecting others of the opposite sex you know, all those things. And, and, and that's where things started with me and my dad when I was younger. And I imagine because of that, that's probably where I'll start too. That's great. So I know you're, you guys are also big on the first impression is important, but the last, last impression is the lasting impression. So it's really important to end on a high note. Uh, we can talk about why that's important, but 
I know you have, we'll give a little treat to the audience. You have a secret weapon where you guys are getting hotel upgrades at some ridiculous <laughs> rate. Is this a top secret or would it be crazy for you guys to share maybe the framework of how somebody out there were traveling again, how they might be able to get a, a hotel upgrade? Yeah, no, not, not crazy at all. Not crazy at all. And so I'll stick with some of the stuff we talked about today because there's a couple different ways to do it, right? we got a couple formulas, but we talked about audits today, accusations, audits, and we talked about no-oriented questions. And so we'll stick with those and, and we really break it up into roughly three uh, verbalizations or, or you can think of it as three phases, right? Whatever's easier. So you approach the counter, right? You hand them your ID and you tell them your name. And as they're looking down at the computer, typing in your info, looking up your reservation, this is when you start. And the first thing out of your mouth is, I'm getting ready to ask you for something. It's going to make your day a whole lot worse. And then you pause, dynamic silence, which is, which is an element of an audit, right? You're letting them know that there's an ask coming, ask coming and there it's going to actually ruin their day because it's such a terrible ask right you're starting there silence wait for their response it's usually going to be like okay right you're probably going to get a funny look expect that then follow it up with this is going to make me sound like another spoiled hotel guest that is making a demand for something that they in fact do not deserve Right. Silence again. Now you're going to get another either weird. OK. In a couple instances, I've gotten to like, just rip the bandaid off, man. Just just tell me what is it. Right. Just let me know. And then your follow up to end with a no oriented question is simply, would it be impossible? Would it be ridiculous? Would your manager chop your head off if you gave me a free complimentary upgrade to a suite? And. That's right. That's one, two, and three. The real, the actual keys there is going to be tone of voice, timing, and your dynamic silence in between each step, right? Allow them to process because they probably haven't had another hotel guest ever say that to them in that way. And some of it is their brain is catching up, but you're identifying, you're diffusing, you're exhibiting understanding. You leave them with no reason other than to feel like moving you up to a higher floor with a bigger room. <laughs> that's beautiful i am using that on my next trip and like we said last impression is the lasting impression fantastic brandon tell people where they can find you and black swan method yeah yeah so uh best places are our website blackswanltd.com we got a weekly free newsletter that you can sign up for real easy when you get on there all of our marketing all of our new ideas everything gets filtered through that newsletter comes out every tuesday morning about 9 a.m I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. I, 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 am, I don't spend a lot of time on those things, but you can find me, right? I'm BC Voss on Twitter and I'm QBCV on, uh, on Instagram. And uh, we have a great social group called the Black Swanlings on LinkedIn. That's also a free group. A lot of people role-playing with each other in there, throwing different questions and things and getting a lot of good feedback, both from us as instructors and peers in the same industry. Yeah, that's I'm joining both of those things because it's, there's, there's so many opportunities to practice this. And I think tying it back to being a dad and being a parent, you're getting practice all day. So we're all negotiating. Brandon Voss, thank you so much for being on the Dad the Best I Can podcast. I appreciate you. 
Rob, I had a great time, man. Thanks for having me.